stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. And I'm going to ask you one big question. Are you wasting time? Today, I'm chatting with Donna McGeorge, who is a very passionate uh, productivity coach. But it's more than that. She really focuses on time and how can we get our time back and put it back into our, I guess, our you know time bank account. We can get back one day a week if we rejig things. Now, I don't know about you, but one day a week, wow, wow, imagine what we can do with that. So I reckon you're absolutely going to love this. Um, Let's get out of that whole thinking that, oh, I haven't got time, I can't do it, I don't know where I'm going to fit it, you know, that overwhelm that we're in. And let's think about, wait a minute, if I just start to block things and make decisions and, you know, clean things up a bit, I'm going to get a whole day back every week. So let's get into it. Welcome, Donna. Hi, thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, so good to so good to chat with you. I, I um, you're a prolific author. Like you, my God, oh, I thought you only had the three books, the time books, and then I went through this list and I thought, my God, and I'm going to read them all out. But you, um, I just love what you do, and I love that you know. Uh, time is such a critical factor for people and I just love that there's someone who can completely you know dedicate to it so thank you and I know you're going to share some amazing stuff (laughs) uh thank you yeah look it's interesting about being the person who's dedicated to time and I think it's um I don't know you know the the whole where did that come from stuff is is really interesting because it's um uh, in some respects, it's like, gee, what a boring life you might have, Donna G, being focused on time and productivity. And I'm like, no, I freaking love it. Like, I just love it. So I want to talk more about what, what it is and, you know, getting our time back and all that kind of stuff. But let's go back, right, because you're now known as a productivity coach and we can see why, because you just love, 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 love time. But, like, what's your backstory? Did, did, were you... Were you chaotic or were you organised as a youngster? I'm very interested in that. Nah, very organised, you know, classic oldest kid, the one that was always the good kid. Um, but really probably the most relevant aspect of my backstory is my dad was in the Navy and so we moved around a lot. Um, I went to nine schools in nine years. Wow. We, um, of course, the military lifestyle means you have a very structured, orderly process way of life. And I was yakking to my mum recently <clears throat> and she reminded me that it wasn't just about the Navy structure order thing. When you move, as, as anyone that's moved house would know, there's a process around moving and it starts with shedding and then packing and all the bits and yeah. pieces. Because we moved so much, we didn't have extra stuff yeah. a lot. 
And so we, we just had a pretty streamlined life. But the thing probably as a kid, you don't think about that as a kid, but what I knew as a kid, I had to get into schools, get to know people, get to know what needed to be done and get onto things and prove myself pretty quick. Um, because we also, back, back in the olden days, um, we crossed borders a few times. And so the school system was a bit different in some schools. And so the, the, the default setting was any new kid goes to the bottom of the class until they prove themselves. So I did, and I was a pretty bright kid, I had to get in fast and prove and get on top of things. And so I was always the assignments, I never, ever had to ask for um, an extension, always got my homework done, always got my deadlines met, always did that. And that that just created such a grounding for me that when I got into business life and my career, so many people kept saying, how do you get so much stuff done? You never seem to be freaked out. You never seem to lose it. You just, you know, you start work at nine and you finish at five, but you're not a clock watcher because you just plow through so much stuff. I thought, I reckon there's some books in this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, yeah, because because a lot of people are are floundering. And since COVID, you know, we're working from home and the the washing machine's going off and then I've just got to make a cup of tea and then I'm just, oh, the kids are wanting some help with their homework and this and that. We've become completely chaotic, you know, since since COVID, and that's um, we're going to need. Many people are going to need your books. They really yeah, are. A lot of people tell me the three things they tell me mostly is that they're out of control, they're overwhelmed, and they're at risk of failing at the important things. Yep. And and whether they're um, you know, whether they have jobs or run businesses or work for a living or whatever it is that they do, or whether they're just mum, stay at home parents or whatever, their people are just struggling. It's. It's kind of a weird thing because on the one hand, we had a little bit more time available to us and, you know, what did we do with that bit of extra time that we had that we maybe didn't commute? And then on the other, a lot of people just ended up um, everything, like particularly if you had two working parents and some kids doing remote learning, it just became chaotic. Mm. Yeah, I agree. But And when you're talking about that um, extra time, think think how much time we did get back. Like it's not for me. I live in the country, and it takes me five minutes to get to work. You know, well, I don't. I work at home, but if I was working in the town, but you know, in the city, I used to travel from Bentley to Mitcham. Any Melbourne people know what I'm talking about, and that's not that far. It's like only twelve kilometers or something like that. But it used to take me nearly nearly an hour and a half just to get from one place to the other. But that's a lot of time back in our pocket. You know, and but I, I think it's the it's the mental aspect of well, I'm at home, you know, and it's very hard to draw lines. Very hard to draw. Yeah, lines the, those home. those boundaries. So you're, you're spot on there, Karen. That most people's commute was I average it at an hour, right, door yeah. to door, um, and. You know, if you were someone that went to an office or had to go to a location for work, that was two hours a day, which adds up to 10 hours a week. Yeah. And wow. when I say, you know, if I'd said to you in, you know, July 2019, if I could give you a whole extra day back in your week, what would you do with it? You probably would have said something like, oh, wow, I'd do my hobbies, I'd spend time with my family, I'd catch up on stuff, I'd write a book, I'd sleep more, I'd exercise, blah, 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 all this stuff. And we got more than a day back. You know, those of us that had a commute and even those that didn't have a commute. So I work from home and I would travel to my gigs, right? So sometimes that was down to Melbourne for a couple of days or interstate or sometimes internationally. I got so much time back through not having to travel anywhere. And 
And I, I, because you'd expect, I, I think I made good use of that time, but so many people just subsumed it into their work. They just did more email. They just had more meetings. They just took on more projects. They just did more work. And before they knew it, they were doing, um, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks. Yeah. And that's not good. That's, but but the expectation too from um, some some of the CEOs on the bosses, you know, it's kind of like well, we've got to this time just get this done, get this done, and people people were taking on without actually saying no, no, you know, because we're not good at that. We're not good at saying you, you know, no, I'm not going to be doing that. Like these are my hours, and that's all there is to it. When we're really terrible at that. So if you were working for a CEO that was trying to, you know, get you to do extra time, I'd be thinking about looking for another job around that because I just think that's really unfair. And the thing that bugs me a lot about organisations is where they take advantage of the goodwill of their employees. And that happened a lot over the last two years because there wasn't really a game plan. No one really knew. But we now do have a bit of a game plan. And I talk to a lot of people about the four-day work weeks um, where you either compress 40 hours into four days or you spread time out. So it's a bit hypothetical because I didn't work for a corporate, but I reckon if I'd had my time over again and I was working in a corporate, I would have negotiated that. I'd have said I'll work Monday to Thursday, 40 hours, and I'll have Fridays off. Or my daughter, she started, she negotiated and she said, can I just spread my time a bit more thinner and start later? And she was she was really good at that. She really yeah. kept the boundaries tight and didn't let it, um, which you'd like to think a bit of a chip off the old block, frankly. So you'd like to <laughs> But it's it's a, we we do live in a world of like it's just the world and it's just us as human beings we live in this sort of place of fear you know it's this if if I stand up you know I might get sacked you know we've we've got this terrible kind of attitude about that kind of stuff but you know you know I've I believe and I've seen it happen so many times and I've empowered people to do this go to your boss and have that conversation and nine times out of ten they say oh. I'm happy to do that. Why didn't you? Why didn't you say that earlier? Do you know? Not not everyone's that friggin' nice because there are some terrible assholes out there. But but it, it, nobody will know what you want unless you have that conversation. Do you, you know? And Absolutely agree. It's like, what's the worst thing that can happen? They say no. And can yeah. I tell you, the percentage of people that just do a flat out no is really small. Yeah, that's There's right. usually yeah. some version of, well, how about we trial it or can we do this amount of time or, okay, so come back to me with a plan or, you know, it's very rarely a flat-out no, but we sit in our desks or we sit in our, in our seats and we worry, oh, if I ask. So I'm going to tell you, if you don't ask, of course, you're never going to get it, but there's, there's a, you know, you should ask. Now, the interesting thing from an employment perspective so many people go, if I ask my boss that, I'll end up with the sack. Like, first of all, that, that never happens, right? It's very hard to be sacked, just quietly. You've got to really, really perform badly to get sacked. <laughs> and then at the moment, there is, you know, employment levels are really low um, and there's a real war for talent on. And so, you know, if any of your listeners, HR, CEOs, running businesses, whatever, they really should be thinking about how we do things like four-hour work weeks, like flexible hours, like... How, how are we managing now our remote staff and our hybrid staff? And um, another colleague of ours that you and I would know, Lynn Kazali, she talks about, you know, that it's never been a better time than really talk about asynchronous work. So I do a little bit, then you do a little bit. We don't have to do it all at the same time. We don't all have to be in the office between nine to five. It's such an interesting time to be alive. I actually is, isn't it? I reckon that too. It's a perfect time to renegotiate everything and and 
And and when you talk, I'm not going to pretend to be the um, productivity know-all because that's you, but <laughs> but it's like we can get so much done when we're sitting in a happier place. Like we get so much more done when we're feeling good about what we're doing. So I reckon now's a, a great bloody time. And and you're right, they're not going to sack you because there's nobody else to do the bloody <laughs> job. It's like, I don't know where everybody's gone, but anyway. <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, I don't know where they've gone either, but, you know, people are desperately looking for people. So, yeah. I think a lot of people decided I'm, I'm not doing this nine to five anymore and I'm going to start up my own business you know like uh, the professionals you know I'm going to just start doing uh, you know like uh, maybe chiropractors or you know that's uh, they're not that's not a good example but oh, people no, are no, there's heaps of examples where people are saying I'm just going to be a consultant I'm going to go out on my own and and you know one story I heard which I which I think pretty much epitomizes how a lot of I used to call it their white collar sweatshops, you know, so these businesses that just have people marching in every day. It's like the old Apple ads that they used to march in every day and whatever. And I had one guy say to me, I actually thought I was a really present dad until I worked from home and I realised how much I was missing. Yeah. And, you know, and I thought I was present at dinner and I never was. I was so busy trying to shove food down my gob so I could get to my email. I didn't listen. And so he said, I'm never going back to that again. And I don't care if I have to quit my job and be a consultant, I want to be fully present for my kids. It was such an eye-opener. And I don't think he's alone. So many people talk to me about how, you know, the connections that they made. Now, some teenagers were a bit challenging, you know, as the nature of them. But for, for many people, they went, this is what life could be like if I have more flexibility and that I didn't prioritise a company's needs over my own. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love it. Now, let's talk about all your books, speaking about uh, <laughs> all that spare time when we could write a book in that time. I'm just going to read them out because otherwise I'm, you know, I'm not going to. There's a big list. <laughs> the first two minutes, the 25 minute meeting, the one day refund, making work work, engaging training, captivate, epiphany. <laughs> Permission granted, visual vocal, the pen is mightier than the slide. My God, now that is such a talk about find that 10 hours a week to write a book. You have slammed down that many. The one I want to talk about, I want to talk, I wish I could talk about all of them, but let's focus on one. Only, only because for those of you listening on audio, um, you should go to YouTube and watch this because I've got this book in my hand, The One Day Refund. And I saw a friend of mine, Leah Metha, post, uh, post this on uh, LinkedIn. She said, what a great book. I was, I was traveling and I went to, I was at Brisbane Airport and I thought, oh, I want a book to read on the way home. So, and I love, I, love, I don't know why, there's something about airport bookshops and <laughs> I can't help myself. And, and I saw this and I thought, bugger, Leah said that was great. I need to come back to work after this break and really get my shit together, you know, and pull, pull my hours in. This is a fabulous book and it's like, it is really fabulous. Yeah, if you need, <laughs> here's a testimonial. This book, the one day refund, is bloody marvelous, and there's so much in there. It's actually very simple, to be honest. But there's so many nuggets that hit your heart and make you question yourself. Oh, how did you? How did you come to writing this? Like, how did you figure this all out? 
Okay, first of all, you need to know that any author, we wander around airport bookshops the whole time taking selfies and photos of ourselves in front of our books, right? That's just how we roll. Uh, secondly, I love that you bought my book at a bookshop because I write these, the, the three productivity books that if anyone's watching the video are just sitting up here, um, they're called the It's About Time series. I wrote them for people who like to pick up a book at an airport and can. you should be able to read my book between um, either Brisbane and Sydney or Sydney and Melbourne, right? They're, they're designed to be read in a 90-minute kind of flight. So, yay, I'm glad that bit worked. <laughs> um, we've kind of already talked about why I wrote it. So, you know, this idea that we had two years in a pandemic and we had we potentially had all this extra time, up to yeah. 10 hours for some people, and what did we do with it? We were refunded that time and hardly anyone did anything with it. And so I started to think about, well, what would happen, that question that I asked, you know, rhetorically, what would you do if you had a whole extra day in your week? I thought, how do I help people have that? How do yeah. I help people get that day back and then spend it, refinances, but spend it wisely? So I don't think many people spent it wisely. And so it was really inspired by, because I wrote it during um, the, the middle part of 2021. So we'd already had 2020 and any of you listeners that are in Victoria know that we had some of the most strict lockdowns, you know, in the world and it really shifted how we thought about work and family and relationships and what's important and all that sort of stuff. And so I was, was kind of on the back of that and then we had nearly a whole other year of it again in 2021 <laughs> where everything was disrupted. So I was I released the book in December. So I was able to continue editing it to, editing it, to take into consideration the 2021 experiences but it really was that. Um, and tr truth be told, the real inspiration for my work is my daughter, Emma. Yeah. She's 31. She's in the workforce. And I, I think um, the meetings book was the beginning of it when she would say to me, you know, oh, she just started work. Oh, my God, I'm in meetings all day. Boom, I've got to create a better work life for my daughter. So she's probably the biggest inspiration is how do I make work better for a next generation of workers? Oh, I love that. And I, I love that you're saying, you know, about your, your daughter. And by the way, the book she's talking about is the 25-minute meeting. And I'm talking about the one-day refund, but there's also the first two hours. And that is bloody critical. But I'll just just let me sit on that. Um, if you're... I know there's so much to get in. I know. You and I could go all over the place. So keep, let's keep focused. <laughs> but your, your daughter, I, I remember reading, I remember hearing somebody talk about you know, you know, well, when you write a book, because I've written two and it's very hard to work out who the authors are. Do you, I mean, not the authors, the listeners. You, who am I writing this to? You know, and my second book was easy because I did a conference and I had a, had a workshop and I, I was going to send them a PDF. And I thought I started writing. I'm like, oh, shit, I've got a book. And so I was writing for them, that group of people. So that was easy for me. But I've heard a lot of people say, you know, um, I, I don't know who my audience is. And you've talked about your daughter. I also... Um, remember another person writing a book and she was like I just didn't know who I was talking to and then I realized I'm talking to my sister-in-law I'm going to write this book for my sister-in-law and she said it just flowed yeah, yeah it just it fell out it fell out and I think that's a that's the winner yes yeah if any, if any of your listeners are thinking of writing a book, it doesn't matter if you're writing it for one person as long as you write to that audience. So I, I would say, to be fair, I didn't really write it for specifically Emma. The broader message was I just want, I'm about helping people make work work. I just want people at work, we spend so much time there how to make it easier. So I'd say at a broader level, it's middle managers, 
who are, you know, struggling. They're meeting the sandwich between strategy and high-level leadership stuff and the and the teamsters that have to get stuff done. So it was in there. But you're absolutely right. When you identify it's your daughter or your sister-in-law or your cousin, I've got a couple of women in my world that I would think they were a bit of avatars as well. I'd think, oh, gee, if I was helping Christy, what would she need to hear in this that would be helpful for her too? Yeah. So, yeah, it's Because really there'll, there'll be 10,000 Christies out there, you know, and we have this sort of worry that if I write for this person, I, I'm going to lose an entire audience, but you're not because they're a good, they, we're, we're multiplied. Like there's, there's thousands of us. Oh, well, I hope there's not a 1,000 Karens because the world will be happy. <laughs> It'll be a bit noisy. But anyway. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, when you're talking about the, the one-day refund in particular, it's um, you're saying get back 10 hours a week or one day a week. And you've also, for people that are listening that are, you know, C-type people that like the um the percentages, it's a, you've worked it out to be 15% of your time back. So whichever way you look at it, that is a massive amount, you know, of of time back and we're and the older I've gotten since I've hit 50 and I'm now 59 but since I hit 50 something switches in you I don't know it's a menopause brain or what it is but something switches in you and you actually start to look at your mortality you know not not in a not in a negative way but just think far out how wow I'm on the downward slide I don't know how long I've got and you start to value time more I never valued time before 50 well, on and off, but you know, like as a whole, I didn't. Now it's my key metric is is time. Do you know? I I hate to lose time. I hate to waste time. You know, it's it's such a big well. You're thing. not alone because I'm the same. So I'm 55. I'm 56 later in a little while, um, and I don't know that it's so much that we worry about time. Like, oh my god, I don't want to waste my time. But we do think very carefully about how we spend it. And I think there's something glorious that happens to women when they hit 50, which is, and sorry for being a bit sweary, but I think I'm okay with you. Go for it. (laughs) We've run out of fucks to give and there's no way I'm giving time, energy, effort or attention where I'm not going to make sure it's a really good investment of any of those things. And, And I don't know that I ever sit there and think, gee, I've got a finite left, but I do think like weekends, for example, are classic for me. I think I've got two whole days. What's the best way for me to spend that? And now that's that's actually a refund we don't take much advantage of, I don't reckon. So many of us fill our weekends full of stuff. Um, and so in our, in our younger years, for me, when, when Emma was younger, it might be filled with carting her off around a sport and all that sort of stuff. Or, or I'm, I'm so busy being social. I mean, again, I've talked about my daughter a bit, but, again, I, I quote her in, in the one-day refund where she rings me one day and she goes, I think I need a three-day weekend. And I said, oh, tell me about that, darling. And she goes, well, by the time I play hockey, be social, hang out with people, catch up on all the housework, get the several loads of washing done. It's four o'clock before I stop and I feel like my weekend started. So even if you can't do much during your weekdays, it's like really have a look at what you're doing on your weekends because it should be downtime. It should be rest time. It should be where you get to charge the batteries. So you don't go into Monday going, I'm exhausted before the week even starts, right? Yeah, yeah. It's hard. We've got 11 acres, so I've got to do uh, farm work. Plenty, you've got weekend. plenty to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try to make it fun. <laughs> love it, absolutely love it. But, and the, the other one, I just just let's touch on that, the two-hour, oh, my God, uh, the, the, the first two hours. That is 
I, I think it's critical because, you know, I, I, I've told so many people this and I do, I dance for three songs and then I take the dogs for a walk right up to our front farm gate, you know, and, and absolutely love it. And, and I, I think that we've got a bad habit. I know we've got a bad habit and we wake up, we look straight onto our emails and, you know, and we've already in work mode, we're already letting our emails control us for the day. Tell us just a little snapshot of the first two hours and what sure. that means. Look, this came about because I think we pay too much attention to the clock on the wall and not the one in our bodies. And mm. so this is why life feels hard sometimes because we're trying to do things at times when our brain, it's not the right time for our brain or our bodies to do it. So a quote-unquote normal chronotype, body clock, circadian rhythm, whatever, says that we are more mentally alert in the morning and we have more physical dexterity or um, we can manage routine stuff. We don't need our brain to be switched on in the afternoon. And so how, how I've kind of carved that up, I said, well, you should be doing the work that your genius is for, right? So what are you hired for? What's your genius? What are your smarts? And your most important work that requires a bit of mental intensity, protect the first two hours. Now, that's not what you just described was you, you get up and you exercise for a bit. This is kind of when you sit at your desk. Oh, so, okay. yes, there are some things you've got to do in the first two hours of your day, which is, you know, there's lots of books that write about the habits. Get up, make your bed, have a decent breakfast, get some exercise, whatever you meditate, whatever you want to do. Then you sit at your desk. Now oh. what do you do? Oh. And that's the real kicker. For many of us, we still do what you just said. We scroll and we get an email and we, we use up all that valuable time and then we get to 3 o'clock and we go, shit, I've got to get a pile of stuff done, and our brain's not good not there. We can't yeah. make good decisions. We we can't think clearly. And so my my suggestion is that you figure out at some time up until midday, what are the best two hours for you? So it could be from 8 to 10 or 9 to 11, whatever it is, and you protect that and you protect that sucker like with your life. Then, then it doesn't matter what happens in the rest of the day, right? Mm, I love that. And when you're saying, I'm really, it's touching me when you're saying you protect that sucker with your life. And and we don't. Like we we open that time up for meetings. We we do. We open that. And I think that we've, I agree with you. I, I absolutely love that. I think I need that book as well. It's, uh, it's, it's I'll get you a copy. <laughs> all right, beauty. <laughs> I try. I do. And then I, I do. I do. I'm, I'm good at it half the time and then I suck at it the other half the time you know I'm conscious of you know you know when, when do I write best you know and when I do that and I do try and then I get interrupted and I'm a bit of a bugger at saying oh I'll just accept that interruption so I will I love that and when you're saying protect it like I, I'm going to <laughs> well this is this is it you know a lot of people say to me things like how do you make that so I'm going to sound like a real whiner how do you make boundaries how do you stop interruptions you know like I'm just I'm trying I try really hard to book my time and then someone books the meeting on top of it I'm like oh shut up because that's how it sounds in my head right it's not actually about, you know, boundaries, yes. It's actually we let people do that to us. Yeah, we do. Right? So I don't, I'm very good, and my husband knows this as well. I'm very good. I say to him, I've got, he has access to my diary, um, and I say to him, these meetings that I have, don't come and talk to me for at least half an hour afterwards because if I do a coaching call, for example, and you and I have a good coaching session, and I'm fully focused on you, I then get off that call and I empty out of my head everything we've discussed and do a brain dump. And so if I don't, I've set that boundary, he knows it. He hears me hang up the call 
and then he won't come near me for half an hour because he knows I need that. So I could let I could have let that interruption happen, and I could yeah. have gotten frustrated and resentful about that because that's what happens. We feel yeah. resentful. I reckon that's yeah, the most do. insidious emotion. You never want that one. And so what happens is you say, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to write my book because this is my optimal writing time. Then you get interrupted. And then first of all, you play the blame game. It's not my fault I haven't written a book. I got interrupted. Secondly, it's their fault and I'm resentful around that. And and you still haven't got your book. So And you, and you feel shitty about yourself and yes, everybody around you. And yes. it's not fair. It's no. not. I'm, I'm and, realizing- and one, one, little, one little comment that just says, can you just give me half an hour or can I call you when I'm ready? Just that, politely, respectfully, that's life-changing, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. I've just, as you were saying and I'm thinking, oh, well, actually what I do in this house is I shut my door and when my door's shut, in a lad in. You, the, nobody comes into my office. So now I'm thinking, I'm going to shut it all day. <laughs> well, you could try because that's the thing. The, the interesting thing about that is that, if we shut it all day, then suddenly it's oh. not the barrier anymore. No, I'm not. But if I'm we shut it, I know you're only joking, but for those of you who are listening who are thinking, oh, that's a good idea, I'm going to say no, you shut it for two hours and people will learn that when the door's shut, you know, because if you shut it all the time, then people will just start walking in. Yeah, yeah. assume it's the norm. <laughs> but I talk to people who work in offices and I say, you know, if you've got your head headphones in or headset on or something like that, um, a great, it's a great way to deter others from interrupting you, but not if it's all day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so, so if I walk past and I go, oh, Donna's having a headset moment, I know not to interrupt her. So you can set those things up. Um, you know, I'm thinking, I'm wanting to say, you know, be reasonable about it. Yes. Yeah. So you're yeah. right, you could, I mean, having said that, if you need to shut the door all day because you're banging out several chapters or you're editing, people know, or, or I'd let them know, I'm having a full day shut today, folks, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think it's great. I keep saying to my, my partners, you know, in a in the disability field, and she keeps saying, I can't, I can't stop all these interruptions, you know. And I just I've said to her the same thing. Put a sign on your door, um, not available between nine and eleven. Put that sign up and tell your staff that 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 time is out of bounds and you can't, oh, but I can't. And I'm like, you got Of course you, you can. To. Of course you, you can. And, yeah. and I want you to tell her that Auntie Donna said, of course you can. <laughs> right? So permission granted just in case she needs it. So there's a couple of things that will happen. People will respect that. They'll respect that more. The other thing I'll say is anyone that's listening, you actually don't have to answer your phone. So a lot of people think, oh, but I get into something and the phone rings. I'm like, well, just don't answer it. Or as you and I have done today to do a to do a podcast together, just put it in airplane mode for an hour, right? And then they'll go, oh, but then I'll have heaps of messages. Okay, then schedule half an hour after the meeting to answer messages you can do the same with email you do not have to reply instantly this this notion this is another inspiration for the for the book um is this idea that we have to be 100 percent on 100 percent available 100 percent of the time now i've got a bit of a hypothesis that this is more of a of a female thing than a male thing and i think it's because we learn particularly if we're being parents we learn at a very early age we do have to be 100% on, 100% of the time if you've got kids. And then it ends up playing out into our general lives. And so I hear lots of women in particular say to me, um, I'd feel guilty if I protected 15% of my time for myself. I'd feel guilty if I wasn't doing something. And so for your partner, it could be, I'd feel guilty if I wasn't available for my team. Yeah. Right? You know, it. yeah. it's like, well, no, because the idea that we put our own mask on first 
is what we're talking about here. So the more she allows that to happen, the more she's going to drown even further, right? And she won't end up being a great (laughs) colleague or manager or worker because she'll just be drowning. Just just go get her. Get her to come in here right now. She's not here. (laughs) She's at work letting people interrupt her. (laughs) 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 I'm going to say Auntie Donna said. (laughs) I love it. Now you talk about, and I'm going to slap her on the wrist when she gets home, but you know, you talk about adaptive capacity. Mm. What, What is that? I've never heard of that. Explain that. Oh, it's glorious. It's mostly, they talk about it a lot in the manufacturing world. So I've stolen it from, from manufacturing and from systems thinking a little bit. Yeah. But the idea is that, um, that, that we have to have some space kind of in case something goes wrong. Yeah. And so if we think about it, other people might have used the word pivot over the last couple of years, but I would say, have you got sufficient adaptive capacity so when change happens, when circumstances happen, um, you can take advantage of it rather than scrambling or, or, you know, or losing out. And so there's several places. So manufacturing is one that they only typically operate their equipment at 85% capacity yeah. because, and that's what, so if you think about car manufacturing as an example, uh, they've got the capacity to do 100 cars, but they'll only do 85 because yeah. they need gaps in case. What happens if we have a shortage or something happens? Blah, blah, blah. So that's one. Um, a lot of hospitals, and, and I learned about this in the airline industry, we, we talk about surge capacity. So if so, most hospitals operate at about 85-ish, mm. and I'm using that term a bit loosely, just anyone that's listening now and says, no, they don't, well, it's you pick your number, um, but it's about 80 to 85-ish. And so that, which means that if there's a big problem. So I remember I was doing some work um, at, with the Aubrey-Wodonga Health, so they're across border, and they would say, you know, they're, they're planning for if there's been, dare I say, like a big car accident or something like mm-hmm. that, that they've got, they can call people in and they've got capacity to surge when they need to. Now, currently in the health system, we've been running at surge for two years, yeah. more than that now. So that's why you're feeling that the health system breaking a bit right now is because they've got no adaptive capacity. They've got no ability to say we can react and we can respond if we need to. Mm. So for us as just regular old humans having jobs, it means, you know, the question is, are you too busy to work with? So a lot of us in the past have prided ourselves. Like I can even remember, you know, you know, you and I talked about thought leaders earlier when I've worked with other business people and, and other people in, you know, run their own practices and they would wear their busyness like a badge of honour. You know, I'm booked out until October, right? I have no capacity at all. And they and that, that's, that was a sign of success. And I've never seen it that way. I've always been like, wow, what if a massively gorgeous, amazing opportunity comes and you're too busy to work with? And so, you know, it's it's like you ring me and you say, hey, Donna, can you be on my podcast? And I go, yeah, that'd be great. You go, great. When can I book you in? I go, well, look, I'm not free till November. Yeah. I, I never want to be that person and neither do you. So I protect all day Fridays typically, which is um, now very rarely do I have a day off. It's more that I've got the capacity then if a, if a new client comes into my world, new piece of work, new opportunity, and they say, when can we have a chat? I've got Friday. I can do that every Friday. Yeah. Um, and then if they say, oh, you know, Donna, can you come and speak at this conference? You know, I know it's very last minute, but would you happen to be free? I'm like, yes, I can. I've got some capacity to do that. Yeah. And that I always want to be that person. And can I tell you, since I started doing that, my business has gone through the roof. Mm. So this idea that less is more is feels counterintuitive, but you've got to have 
at least 15% capacity in your system to be able to respond positively to opportunity. But I think when you're not not that booked out too, when you've got those gaps, you, you're giving more, you, you're giving a much better, I'll call it a performance, it's not really the best word, but you, you are performing better at that whatever gigs you are doing because you, you and I do the same type stuff. You know, if you're, if you're running from one to the next book back-to-back days, you're not thinking, you, you're kind of like, well, hang on, what am, I, what am I presenting today? Do you, you know, and you're just you're trying to pull out stuff and whereas if you've got that day to just cruise into it, you're, you're on, you know, you're banned. Oh, I completely you know, agree. And because we do do similar work, we can talk about this. So there could be a week where you might have a one-day workshop, a keynote speech, and then a few webinars. And so you're basically preparing for five different audiences or four or five different audiences. And if you're doing that in the moment, that's exhausting and you're not giving your best self. So I kind of try and work on a, I call it the activity horizon. I try to work on a two-week activity horizon that says that what have I got coming up in the next two weeks or the two weeks after that, typically, and I get everything prepared for that. And then I start looking at the next two weeks because too often people are working with their activity horizon behind them. What are you working on today? Shit that was due yesterday or last week and I'm just scrambling to catch up or I've got to get stuff that's urgent today. I'm like, no, no, we should be thinking what could I be doing that makes, so my, my big saying is what can you do that your future self will thank you for? So when I jump on a plane and I am jumping on a plane on Monday, I'm going up to Mackay to run a one-day workshop, then I'm coming back down to Noosa to do a two-day strategy piece, right? So I'm all like, hello, 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 Queensland. Um, I'm prepared for all of that, which means I'm going to get a better night's sleep, which means then I've got space to have brekkie in the morning and I show up better. Yep. Mm. Now, 100%, that's how I do it too, is I always stay ahead of it, you know, it's, yeah. and I plan it out. It's like, what's coming next? No, not next, but, you know, like every time I've just done one, then I'm like, what's next? And then I look over it and I go, yep, I've got everything ready. Do you know, and you just, you've got that space to just, I always put a buffer in, like you are saying, you know, if you've got, um, when you're doing coaching and then you've got that other half an hour, between everything I've got, I've got a half hour buffer either side of it. Do you, because yeah, you saw, my, you saw my calendar today. That's exactly what you'd see. I'm doing <laughs> a bunch of interviews today with execs for a strategy session for next week. And I've booked all their interviews in and there's a half an hour buffer within each one. And that does two things. One, it gives me a chance to have a breather and gather my thoughts and type my notes up. I I can get to go to the bathroom, I can get a drink of water, make a cup of tea, all that. And it means I can actually give myself, I can stop that, reset my brain and now lean into the next piece. Yep, 100%. Right? And so... If any, you know, you could argue, oh, Donna, but if you'd crammed them all back to back, you could have had the whole morning full and now you'd have an afternoon off. And there are some times when you might want to batch your work that way. But for the kind of work I'm doing, for this particular kind of work, it doesn't work to do that way. It's better to give myself buffers. And I'd much rather spend a couple of days doing it with room to move. And then not only that, what if one of those interviews is really interesting and I want it to go longer? Yep. Right? That's right. I never want to be that. I'm sorry, our time's finished now. Next. I never want to be that person either. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. I'm learning a lot, but um, I'm, I'm feeling very good that I'm doing a lot of lot of good things. You're well. very validated. That's good. I'm, glad, I'm happy to be validating. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. And so... I guess I guess I'm thinking about um, 
people out there that are going to be really and I heard it last night I did I did a thing last night and I heard somebody say but I just I haven't got time like I it just isn't in my day like what 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 can they do like Mm. well what's what's one quick thing that they can just start to snap at to go oh now I can breathe yeah okay it always starts the night before so a productive day starts the night before so whenever anyone comes to me and says, I don't even know where to start, I'm just so out of control, I'm just so overwhelmed, I'm like, right, can you just stop whatever time you knock off? Let's say you knock off normally at five, you know, people might be going, you're dreaming, but let's just go with five for the moment. <laughs> any chance you could knock off at 4.30? Is there any chance you could say no more meetings after 4.30 and just give yourself half an hour at the end of the day to go, what are half a dozen things I could do right now that make tomorrow morning easier? Now, for yeah. many of us, it's personal things. What am I going to wear? What route am I going to take? Make sure that there's parking available where I'm going if I'm travelling somewhere. What meals? What am I going to have for brekkie? Um, what are the three most important things I need to do? Have a look at my meetings and go, oh, yeah, I need to prep for that, that and that. Block time out if you can. But for me, it's that that afternoon before, what can I do that makes tomorrow better? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. That's where it starts. And so if anyone's listening now that's going, my day's just crazy, I'm going to say, well, all I'm going to ask you to protect to start with is half an hour at the end of the day. And you're only allowed to do things there that are about setting you up for success tomorrow. Then, I mean, then they're they're going to be able to say, after a while, then they can say, ah, now I can protect my first two hours, right? Now they can do Mm -hmm. some, but that's the kicker for me. I love that. I'm a bit guilty of doing that first thing in the morning. Like, you know, I look at I look at everything and I'll go, right, what are my top three things? Do you, you know, and and I'm really other than meetings, I can't I can't change interviews and that sort of stuff. But what are the three big things I want to get done today? And what didn't I get done yesterday? So I love that idea because it, I, I can absolutely see the value in that by just switching before I leave this office at night. What do I want to do? What do I want to focus on tomorrow? So, and it, and it can be simple things. Like I've got really interesting rituals at the end of the day that that this is kind of back to the working from home thing because when you when I, I mean I work from home anyway, but it's really important for me that I have a boundary that marks out the end of my day and the start of my relax. And so I tidy up my desk. And so when I come in the next morning, everything's tidy and put away. The clean desk policy. I you know I go wash my teacup and all that sort of stuff and, and finish up. So I don't have a problem with you doing it first thing in the morning, all power to you. This is to anyone. If that works for you and you get great success, keep on doing it. The risk of doing it in the morning is something called decision fatigue. So decision fatigue is the thing that says, let's just make it easy with numbers. Let's say you get 100 decisions available to you in a day. And if you're using them up in the morning for somewhat trivial things, then when you get to a point where you really need some of your decision capability, you're at risk of saying, you know, do we spend 20000 or 30000 And you go, oh, just spend twenty, And it's not a good decision because you're doing it because you're fatigued at having to think. And I don't know whether this happens to you, but plenty of listeners, particularly women again, say to me, you know, they get home at the end of the day and someone says, what's for dinner? And they want to ah. chew their head off. Right? Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. And, and I say, that's decision fatigue. And so, you know, I don't want to kind of get into a, a bit of a, a Martha Stewart, you know, home economics kind of thing, but holy cow, meal planning's good because you never have to deal with that. Why, do, why should you have to make that decision, right? 
And I've been, you know, a lot of my workshops I've been doing this particular thing, particular activity, and a lot of it is a lot of very often what comes up is women saying, I am pissed off that I am the one doing all the cooking, you know, and what comes out of that is like you're saying do a meal planner, which I think is fantastic. If you, if, I think that's fantastic. But a lot of these women in my workshops are saying that's it. I'm not cooking every night of the week and I'm going home and I'm telling my husband, you're cooking one night and I'm telling my daughter, you're cooking one night yeah. and, 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 and they make this flat-out decision, I'm just not doing it. I'm yeah, not, and look, they, I'm and not, they, that, that's kind of one aspect of it. Um, so for the first few times they do it, we might end up eating pizza and fish and chips and takeaway food because, you know, can take some, if you're not in the habit of cooking and thinking and meal planning, you don't. But what I love, and this is, this is again, it really depends on your family dynamics. I don't want to make it all sound like everything's all Brady Bunch. But when you sit down on a Sunday afternoon with the family and say, we're going to, I'm about to go shopping. I'm going to get everything. You're cooking Tuesday. You're cooking Thursday. What ingredients do you want me to get? I'll go get them for you. When you have those kind of conversations, then when it comes to their, they don't suffer from decision fatigue because, you know, everyone suffers from it. And so if suddenly it's Thursday and you go, you're cooking dinner tonight, it's like, well, I don't know what to cook. I've got no idea what to cook. So pizza's an easy option. So I think if you have that, I'm, I'm happy to do the shopping. Just by the way, again, maybe this is just me, but I used to love the, that, that hour or so where I'd go push a trolley around a supermarket. That was nearly meditative for me, the downtime, the not thinking, and I wouldn't have given that up for anything. But as it happens, I've got a very nice husband who does most of our cooking, so he's really yeah. good around that. But um, but that's the piece where that's the that's the reward for me. I get to wander around the supermarket without thinking. I just, you just tell me what you want me to buy, and then he handles the meals. Glorious. Oh, that's a that's great. Mm. That's great. Well, as you're saying that, and I've never thought of it like this, but as you're saying, it's meditative, and I thought, wow. Yeah, I like doing it too. I mean, I, I always say, outwardly say, I hate shopping. But but when you were talking, I thought, mm, I don't think I do really, I, unless I bump into someone. But it's kind of like I love just pushing the trolley and going up and down the aisles. You don't have to talk pretty much. You can get through a whole shopping experience without having to. You can smile and be nice, but you can get through the whole thing without having to say one word to anyone. Unless yeah. they specifically ask you at the checkout, is it, you know, cash or card or something like that. But you can pretty much, and you just wander around in your own little world, and, and provided they don't change where shit is on the shelves because, you know, you walk along and you usually just reach here and then you go, oh, hang on, that's not my usual brand. That's when it becomes a bit a bit weird. But, yes, so don't underestimate the power of a good shop, good grocery no, shop. I love that. <laughs> well, we live in a small town, so we're bound to bump into people we know. But anyway, just wear the headphones, maybe. <laughs> sorry, anyone who's listening who sees me in the supermarket. I've got the headphones on, sorry. <laughs> you just need to be quick with me, all right, and then I'll be okay. <laughs> oh, oh. I, I love this. I've got one last question for you. Yeah. You know, you talk about um, focusing on what's important. How do we identify what's important? Oh, what a whopping question that is. Like, Sorry you know, about philosoph that. Philosophers for years have been trying to get to the root of that, what's really important in life. But I'm going to say to you, um, you know, there's a couple of little exercises you can do around this. One is, you know, you win one of those gazillion lotto things, 80 million, whatever. What would you spend your time doing? And whatever yeah. the answer to that is, 
that's kind of why you're working. So if it is, I just take time off and play golf or if or every day. Okay, so you're working so that you can have, play golf, or if you write books or travel or whatever. So it's getting putting your work into perspective is what I think is important because I reckon you can do any shit job if you know why you're doing it. And so that's one way of thinking about it. Just one one of those eighty million dollar mottos. What would I spend my time doing because I don't have to work? Yep. Um, the second thing is is you know. Um, why do you work? What do you spend your money on? What's it all for? Very few people say, I just want a million dollars in the bank. Mm. That's that's what we would call an ends goal. The end, the it's the end, right? In the end, I just want a hundred, you know, million bucks in the bank. Like not many people say that. What they say is, I want to travel, I want to provide for my kids, I want to educate myself and others, I want to write books, I want to do whatever I do. So it's getting super clear on. What's the end goal? Because the job, the money, the business, the podcasts, all of this are a means to a bigger goal, a more meaningful goal. Mm. And, and what happens is we just get on a treadmill because we think what it's about is paying taxes and mortgages. And, it, you know, to some extent it is to live in, to, you know, you make choices about where you want to live and, and that sort of stuff. So to some extent it is. But but you can do that kind of anywhere. What, what What's it really about? And so um, I think my, a lot of people say that they want to, you know, have my, my big thing is choice. I just want to have choices. I don't ever want to be in a position where I feel trapped. Um, and so I think every day I do everything, every everything I do every day is to give me choice. Yeah. And so oh, that's it. the work, right? And there's work to be done. It's not easy. So if you're looking for a hack on that, I'm afraid I can't give you one. It does <laughs> require <it>. sitting <laughs> and having some space to think, well, why do I do this job? Why do I earn money? Why do I live in a country town with 10 or 11 acres? Why do I do that? What is it really about? What is most important to me? And the fascinating thing is that most people will say family, What's most important yes. to you to think? Partner relationships, family. And that's the very thing that they put last. They focus on work, they focus on business, they they put other and, and it's when you have that awakening, you're like, oh crap. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, my thing I is um to make the world a better place. And, you know, to bring about equality and respect and love and, and kindness and all that sort of stuff. And I I believe that if I'm unlocking the magnificence in people and they feel great about themselves, they're going to be better contributors. So I'm happy. I reckon I'm doing exactly what you're, I'm doing. You're living your purpose, baby. Um, I absolutely love it. But um, and why I live on acre, but I, at the same time, I value, I value my space. Do you, you know, and I value that. Um, Quite physically manages, like, yeah, willing to have yeah. space. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I couldn't live in the town. I don't want to hear neighbours flushing the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, we we live, we moved from, we've been in the Gold Coast now for a year and we lived in Heathcote and we were on 20 acres. Yeah. And so we've gone from 20 acres to 20 neighbours where if oh. I listen carefully, I might hear a bathroom happening, um, but I don't, I, I don't really listen to that. Um, and it's not because we didn't, we, we've stopped valuing space, but, but there were other things that we valued that made this move the right move, but it was a very conscious decision. And so a lot of people just do stuff on autopilot. They're on default. They just haven't really thought about the why for a really long time. And yeah. I say stop, take stock and begin to make decisions rather yeah. than just go on with this flow. Yep. Yeah, and it doesn't take much, does it? It takes a, just a stop in the wheel to stop. Yep. 
why am why am I doing this? Well, I've absolutely loved this conversation. It's it's <laughs> it sparked <Thank> me. <laughs> Anyone needs you need to watch the video because we're both doing the you know, like, know that sort of dances. But I don't know. We're <laughs> lifting it up, right? <laughs> lifting it up. <laughs> I love it. Oh, this has been absolutely fantastic. Like, there's been so many tips in not just tips actually. I, I think um, awakenings. You know, just 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 little snippets of awakening is oh my god yeah I never thought of that I should do that and by the way we don't do should because we feel guilty but should because I I value me mm. you know I need to do that for me well so. I prefer the word choose right choose. so rather than I should do this I choose to do that is a much more empowering way of thinking about it but yeah yep no they're good I like that like that well thank you very much for You're joining welcome <laughs> Now, where can people find you? I nearly, ah. I nearly let you go without the big question. Oh, where look, I'm a shameless self-promoter, so you'll find me on all good social media platforms. Um, but the best place to find me is DonnaMcGeorge.com. Um, that's where it has everything you need to know about all things Donna. Um, so I help people with coaching, I speak, I run workshops, um, and you'll find everything you need to know there. Yeah, absolutely love it. And you're also on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and all those kind of all stuff. All of the social media platforms. Yep. <laughs> and, and shamelessly self-promoting. That's it. <laughs> I love it. Well, and all of that will be in the show notes anyway for people to click on. But um, I've absolutely loved this. And thank you so very much, so much for joining me. Really loved it. Oh, thank you so much for having me and, um, and allowing me to share this stuff with your listeners. I really appreciate it. Oh, uh, um, they're going to love it. It's absolutely valuable stuff. And 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 you and I both are speaking at something, work, workshopping and speaking at, at a, a joint event. Well, not, not just us two, but we're part of an event. I can't wait to uh, sit down. Oh, that's going to be ripper. Uh, like, yeah. Oh, my God. They talk about raise the roof. We will <laughs> definitely be raising the roof uh, there. So watch out. Watch out. <laughs> oh, you'll be brilliant. So I look forward to having lunch and, and, and that'll be wonderful. Yeah. So thank you. You so very much and i'll catch up with you then you're very welcome thanks Doug. thank you see ya tada oh guys that was fabulous and to be honest i don't even know what to what to uh summarize or rehash on but i well i just loved all of that and i think that oh you know where i guess we're all buggers you know at um oh, i don't know i don't know if i'd say wasting time but sort of feeling overwhelmed with time and we're not as productive as we could be and my god imagine if we did have 10 hours a week back in our pockets and and as donna said it's actually there we just we just haven't packaged it. And if we could just get that 10 hours together and package it in a week, what could we achieve? And for me, it'd be writing my next book. And I, I tinker with it. I've started it. But I reckon I could bloody bang that thing out in no time. So I really hope you enjoyed that. I really hope you got some fantastic tips from it. And I, I hope that even just by listening to this, you can get yourself back one hour a week. Even if that's all you can get to start with, then that's a bloody bonus to you. So please go and follow Donna on DonnaMcGeorge.com and uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Insta, and all that's going to be in the show notes. So I reckon that's very valuable to start following her and get your time back. So that's it for me. Um, thank you so much for joining me again. Love you guys. And I'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. 
if you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.